mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers, and welcome to another episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I'm your host and moderator, Sean. Uh, here with me is my PIC, Sean P. Say hello, Sean. <laughs> what's going on, guys? This is our rumor roundup episode uh, regarding what's coming up next in the Android mobile space over the next couple of months. Uh, and there's more than you think. So let's go ahead and dive right in. You ready, Sean? Let's do it. Let's do it. So up first is the Moto Z. This is the successor to the very popular Moto X Pure Edition from last year. A fine phone and uh, garnered a lot of uh, acclaim in the mobile space, uh, kind of bringing Motorola back to the forefront. Um, They've been long known as a a player uh, with their lower-end Moto phones. The Moto G and the Moto E, namely, are are pretty popular uh, worldwide. Um, The Moto X Pure Edition was kind of their flagship device. Um, It had some very interesting specs uh, Snapdragon 808 and some other things that were a little bit criticized at the time as not necessarily being the most cutting edge and there were good reasons for that but um, the Moto Z is uh, very very much anticipated I'm guessing by quite a few people in the Android space so um, let's go ahead and start with that what um, what do we know about the Moto Z or what do we think we know about the Moto Z Sean? So since Motorola got taken over by Lenovo we didn't really know what we were going to get this year a leak leaked out Really, I think late last year of a phone that had a a camera module looked almost like a Moto 360. It was this giant circle camera module that even had that flat tire that I love so much. I think you're right. I think it was December of last year, if I remember right. And when that came out, everyone kind of looked at it and said, ah, that can't possibly be the phone and didn't really pay a whole heck of a lot of attention to it. But over the last few weeks, we've been seeing a variety of leaks and it looks like that is indeed going to be the design. So from a spec standpoint, here's kind of what we're looking at, we think. Uh, a 5.5-inch QHD AMOLED, uh, Snapdragon 820, 3 or 4 gig of RAM, we're not really sure. It looks like a base of 32 gigabytes of storage. A 13 or 16 megapixel camera with laser autofocus and OIS. And um, the battery rumors are all over the place. So the Moto Z battery rumor that seems to be the most consistent is 2600 mAh, which is awfully small for a Snapdragon 820 device. It's the smallest capacity battery I can think of and would certainly be worrying, but there's also rumors out there that this phone may be as thin as 5.2 millimeters, which is the thinnest mainstream phone I can think of by a fair margin. I think the iPhone 6 is 6.1 or something, so that's quite a bit thinner. And when it started to leak out, um, it had 16 pins on the back of it, and the rumor kind of was that Motorola was jumping on board the modular bandwagon this year. And so everyone kind of looked at all these things, and I don't really know if anyone was too excited, but as the leaks have come out more and more, people seem to be kind of getting excited about this device. The pictures that have leaked out look better. I still don't like the fingerprint scanner at the bottom. It's a big squarish looking thing. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. But everything else, so what we've seen so far is there'll be six modules that come out with the phone. And what they are are um, like a stereo speaker module, an extended battery pack, a camera grip with flash and optical zoom, a projector module, which could be interesting some kind of rugged cover with a wide-angle lens attachment. And then it looks like the the sixth, so to speak, are these style mod replaceable modules that are a variety of different materials. So it's kind of the same idea as Moto Maker. It looks like you'll be able to snap on these thin style mod shells, which are all different colors and materials. You've got the bamboo, the woods, 
you have different colors, um, like a carbon fiber one, that kind of thing, and you'll snap it on and it will make the camera flush with the back. I'm really not sure what to think about this device. I do know this though, I went from being completely kind of disinterested to I'm looking forward to the June 9th announcement. I'm not sure if this is going to pan out. I'm still not totally on board with the modular thing, but I have to say I'm, I'm intrigued, which is more than I can say about a lot of the other phones coming out this year. What about you? Are you on board? We've seen a couple of different things with the Moto Z rumors. Um, kind of as we'd already mentioned, the, the initial leak of the front of the phone from last year had some people concerned because it was not very attractive looking. Let's say that and be nice. Um, I, I also am not necessarily a big fan of the fingerprint scanner on the front of the phone, um, especially when it's this giant square looking thing. I'm not 100% not sure what's going on there, but it isn't the most aesthetically pleasing device. Um, we've seen modular phones um, started to be done by LG, most notably the G5. This is kind of what we talked about before as, as much along the lines of something that's really more of a proof of concept. Now the idea behind the Moto Mods seems to be a little bit more practical and a little bit more functional from the standpoint of A, unlike the G5's friends, you'll actually be able to acquire them allegedly, and there are quite a few more that should be available or at least appear to be available at launch. The um, the biggest to me is this Pico projector thing that we're kind of talking about. I, I know that there are a lot of road warriors who are using their laptops and things and hook up mini projectors that send them out. But just from the standpoint of having something that could project your display onto something else, and you know, again, the the usefulness of this is not necessarily um, something uh, that everybody would be interested in, especially with the ubiquity of things like uh, Chromecast or Nexus Player or other streamable devices to your TVs. Um, so one might say, why would you really need a projector? But let's be honest, it's pretty freaking cool. Um, the external camera grip and you know the, the extra battery, especially if the battery rumors of the 2600 milliamp hour battery are true, um, those would all be functional and practical again. And, and if they're available at launch and it's done the way that it appears that they're done, Moto's actually done something very innovative in the space, which whether or not it's useful or not doesn't maybe necessarily matter as much as the fact that it actually works and they're trying something different. So um, I, I'm intrigued. I'll say that as well. I, I think that there is something, there may be something here and where it goes from here is going to be very interesting to see. Um, and kind of as you already touched upon, Sean, um, when Lenovo acquired Motorola, there was some concern that their uh, design language and their direction might take Moto away from what they had been under Google, which was um, producing very well-designed and very uh, efficient, from a software standpoint, phones that had some really interesting features. The, um, the Moto gestures and the, the close-to-Android stock feel of them was really, really nice, and I think that was something that a lot of people appreciated about um, the Moto E, the Moto G, and um, the Moto X Pure Edition. I've owned a Moto E on Verizon. Um, I know Sean has owned a Moto G, and I think we both came away with something along the lines. If I remember the last time we talked, you said something to the effect of, um, this phone has no business being as nice as it actually is, right? Yeah, I've actually had three Motorola phones. I had the Droid X, the Moto G, and the Nexus 6. And the, the Nexus 6 actually... Is probably my least favorite smartphone experience, but we can talk about that another night. The Moto G, on the other hand, for the money, is an unbelievably good phone. I have a first-generation one that I basically use as a kind of media remote and for some other things that I picked up for $25. It's a great device, 720p screen, real bright, nice. And um, 
This isn't quite the same Motorola that we're dealing with since they're purchased by Lenovo. I'll say this, though. The, the things that I like about this, the modular phone idea I'm still not on board with. I haven't seen anyone execute it to a point where I go. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think what you gave up was worth the idea of having a modular phone. The G5 gives up a little too much for me. I think this implementation may be smarter, though. Having the 16 pins on the back, that's a feature that you could add on any phone it wouldn't be such a big deal. Different sizes and different things. Now, I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but in theory, it makes more sense to me than the G5's integration of this because, first of all, if you pop modules on and off of this, you don't have to turn the phone off because there's an internal battery. So right off the bat, that's a plus. Plus, it seems like by the virtue of the fact that the whole phone isn't designed around this, literally it's just 16, you know, these 16 pins on the back, it seems like it'd be really easy to port it across a variety of phones, and maybe the modules would have some level of cross, you know, cross use between various phones, various Motorola phones. Obviously, the things that I don't like: the 2600 milliamp battery worries me. I'm a little bit concerned that they put in a small battery with the expectation that you're going to buy modules that will have extra battery capacity. If that is indeed the case, I don't like that call. The phone should function on its own and be able to stand alone without modules, and that would include good battery life. So that would be an error in my eyes. But everything else looks interesting. The idea of being able to easily swap the backs is neat. And again, compared to the way LG did it with the G5, this implementation seems smarter and has more utility for me. So I'm not sure it's something I would ever buy another Motorola phone, but I'm really interested to see what they're doing. It's something new, and in a world where the phones are pretty cookie-cutter in a lot of ways, it's kind of neat to see them try something new. So I'm kind of excited for the 9th, which... You know, a month or two ago when this stuff started leaking out, we were kind of making fun of them. I saw the leaks and went, man, that phone is just all kinds of ugly. But as the leaks have come out, and this is why you shouldn't judge too early on, every series of leaks has been a more attractive device. And as the facts have leaked out about the style covers and the, the modules and everything else, I kind of sit there and go, wow, a lot of that actually sounds interesting. So I want to see what they, they're going to do. And then there's also some rumors that it's going to have the shatterproof screen again like the Droid Turbo 2 where it's a, a plastic substrate so there's no actual glass. I don't know if that will actually happen or not or if maybe there will be a Verizon Droid edition that has that but that is another, like, that's another feature that I would consider to be really valuable. In a world where people are trying to bring out things where a lot of times you're like that's gimmicky or I don't really see what the point of that is, having a screen that you can't shatter is something that I think any person that's on a smartphone could see, look at that and go I see the value of that immediately. Absolutely, and I think, if nothing else, uh, Motorola, nay, Lenovo should get credit for trying something, um, especially in the mobile phone space right now, where pretty much we're almost at a, a saturation point with the types of technologies that are available. Um, every phone's got a pretty good display, every phone's got a pretty good camera, every phone's got, you know, decent to above average battery life, so... Um, anything that Moto can do to help differentiate themselves in this space, especially against the big players, your iPhones, your Samsungs, um, may help drive uh, some business back to it. And, and Lenovo has pretty deep pockets, so they can do this kind of thing and, and not necessarily look to make it a win right away. Um, and if they have themselves a home run to start with, then even more so the better. Um, the only question that I had is, especially as we kind of already talked about the battery, do you think the new um, the new 14 nanometer process of the S820 will have any kind of significant gain, and maybe that's why they went with the smaller battery size? No. We've seen the phones that have already come out this year. The trend has been, by and large, to actually put in larger batteries. So Samsung went from 2600 in the Galaxy S6 
2550 in the S6 normal, 2600 in the Edge to 3000 milliamp hours in the S7. They put in a 3600 milliamp hour battery in the Edge. And then HTC went from, I think, 2800 milliamp hour hours on the M9 to a 3000 milliamp hour battery on the 10. And all of them get good battery life. So compared to the S810 phones, they get better battery life. And yes, part of that is the the reduction from a 20 nanometer process to a 14 nanometer process, you reap some of that benefit. But the Snapdragon 820 so far is not like a battery miser processor. Uh, as a point of reference, the Exynos 8890 powered Galaxy S7 and Galaxy S7 Edge gets better battery life, 10 to 15%-ish, than the Snapdragon 820. Now, that's not to say the Snapdragon 820 battery life is bad, it's quite good. Even the G5, which has the lowest capacity, I think they're down to 28 or 900 milliamp hours, will get you through a day as long as you're not using heavy use. But there's nothing that I've seen that would tell me that, yeah, I don't think Motorola's figured something out that makes you go, oh, yeah, they can reduce the capacity down to 2,600 milliamp hours and get you through an entire day. I just don't see that being the case. Maybe the style mods, maybe regardless of what you have on the back, you're getting some extra battery capacity from that, although that still seems like a weird decision. Why wouldn't you just add that into the actual device itself? So it remains to be seen, but no, I don't think Motorola worked any extra magic, and I don't think the reduction in process from 20 nanometers to 14 would be enough to give really, really good battery life with a 2600 milliamp hour battery. So we'll see. It could be wrong. Battery rumors are all over the place for all of the devices coming up, so we're going to talk about a few more. All of them have conflicting information on the battery size, so this could be something, you know, just an errant report, but no. If that is indeed correct, I think they went too small. Motorola has a history of doing this on the second gen Moto X, which was a great device, 2014. They put in a 2300 milliamp hour battery when everyone else was going with significantly larger batteries, and at the time, we kind of had the same discussion. Well, they're almost stock Android. Maybe it just uses less battery. And then it came out and it's like, no, no, no. It just has bad battery life, which is what you would expect. So we'll see what happens. I'm still looking forward to it. It's just something different and new. And again, we'll see what they do. But to some degree, I'm already looking at this. And it looks like a more fleshed out idea and process than the G5 is. The G5, we've discussed a few times, feels pretty like beta. This looks like a much more fleshed out concept to me so they could announce it and we could be sitting there shaking our heads when it ends up being a complete disaster but so far the signs to me look like this may be something that they actually have a good plan with so we'll find out I guess we'll know on June 9th right so let's move on to the next uh, device that's rumored to be coming out very soon and that would be the OnePlus 3 from OnePlus um, I wrote about this a little bit in one of the articles at SiliconTheory.com uh, from a company whose motto is never settle. They've had a very unusual, let's say, track record of releasing devices. Um, the OnePlus One was uh, a very good device, and in some ways the OnePlus Two um, was kind of two steps forward, one step back. Um, they did some very unusual things with it, not the least of which was the invite system, which... Uh, best case scenario was irritating and annoying, and worst case scenario was downright obnoxious. Um, what do we know about what, what do we know about, or what do we think we know about the OnePlus Three, Sean? So, as far as specs are concerned, here's what we have. It looks like there's going to be four variants of the OnePlus Three. 
Um, all of them have the same 5.5 inch 1080p AMOLED screen. They all have a Snapdragon 820, um, 16 megapixel rear facing camera, an 8 megapixel front facing selfie shooter, uh, 3000 milliamp hour battery, Android 6.0.1 comes pre-installed. Um, Oppo Mart had a leak the other night that showed a 3615 milliamp hour battery, which would be considerably larger than the other leaks. While possible, I think it's probably an errant listing. Oppo Mart has a history of that. As far as pricing is concerned, we have a 4 gigabyte of RAM, 32 gigabyte ROM, uh, 349 version, 4 gigabyte of RAM and 64 gig will set you back 379. And then we have a 6 gigabyte with 32, 6 gigabyte RAM, 32 gigabytes of storage for 409. And the top tier one is $425, which is 6 gigabytes of RAM and 64 gigabytes of memory. And we're not sure these prices are right yet. They seem to be right where you would expect them to be for this device. The Oppo listing that I mentioned that leaked had it actually $20 higher for the base version, so you're looking at $369. And so we'll see what the pricing ends up being. As far as the design is concerned, I would say the back looks very much, and the front to some extent, looks a lot like an HTC 10 to me. Very much so. It's got kind of that curved back brushed aluminum. It's got the Squircle style battery housing with a single flash. The front has a fingerprint scanner. Um, it's not it's not a physical button that you know you actually push, but it's a capacitive button. And then it has the back and recently used apps buttons, of course. I think it's a really good-looking phone, if we're being honest. It looks like an HTC 10, but they got a lot of things right. Like, on the HTC 10, the buttons are not centered on the bottom, which is a minor thing. This one does have it centered um, horizontally, vertically, pardon. And it looks better. It's like a HTC 10 with smaller bezels and centered buttons. I really, really like the look of the device a lot. I think it looks really clean. Um, as far as OnePlus's track record, the invite system was awful. I did manage, my friend wanted a OnePlus 2 last year and I did get one for him so I have a hands-on experience with it. It was a bear to get one, a complete nightmare, but the device itself was pretty solid. The thing with OnePlus, so you have the bad invite system, you have some stories of bad support, and then it was like, even last year they're saying we're releasing a flagship killer for 2016 flagships, but it didn't have NFC which was a weird weird thing to admit because it's relatively inexpensive. It has a 1080p screen. It has some of these other things. The phone in and of itself is really quite nice. I used every flagship phone last year pretty extensively, not personally, but friends and family bought them, so I had them in my hands for at least 48 hours apiece. And compared to like the G4, the screen's not as nice, but in almost every other way it was pretty close. Uh, it stood up nicely to any of the flagships last year. So it's... They make good devices. I'm glad to see them getting rid of the invite system. It's a complete joke, so you can actually buy one. I think the pricing is insanely good. I mean, 6 gigabytes of RAM, 64 gigabytes of memory for $425 is a steal, right? That's This phone, from a spec standpoint, the OnePlus 3 is the equal of everyone. Every flagship coming out this year, with the exception of maybe the 1080p versus the uh, you know QHD that most of the, almost all the flagships are using now, but... I don't actually think that that is that big of a deal. If the 1080p screen is really nice, that's preferable to a low-quality QHD screen, in my opinion. So I'm really looking forward to it. One of my friend who I mentioned I bought the OnePlus 2 for last year, he's upgrading to a OnePlus 3, so I'm going to get one of these in my hands pretty quickly. 
It's going to be announced on the 14th, and I'm hoping to actually buy one that day and have it shipped to me so I can set it up for him. But it's, it's an impressive device. I have to say, it's even tempting for me to some degree. It's like you're getting all those flagship everything for half price. I'm not going to actually buy one, but... Yeah, I don't know. It, looking at it, if it comes out and it can back all this stuff up, it's a pretty intriguing device to me. And I think that's probably, uh, I think you've kind of touched on the, the biggest thing about it, which is the value proposition uh, approaches that of the Nexus device program, uh, many versions of the Nexus device program, um, the Nexus 6 notwithstanding. But um, if you can get a device in your hands off contract for $425, that's got these alleged specs on it, that's a good deal. Um, especially if you get, I mean, we're talking 425 for something that is going to have allegedly uh, 6 gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of onboard memory. That That's a beast. The S820 and the 5.5 inch 1080p will make probably the battery, no matter what it is, unless uh, OnePlus loses their minds and puts an even smaller battery than Motorola's putting in the Moto Z in it, very good, or at least better than average, I'm thinking. And you've got basically pretty much everything else that you need. I know there were some um, some sites that talked that the camera quality on the OnePlus 2 was, was not as good as some of the other flagship phones. I think we've all gotten into a point where that, that's kind of a, that arms race ship has sailed. Um, everybody's got a good camera that's taken mobile pictures. I mean, if you're using your phone to take photographs, you're probably in a good, pretty good space. Um, even this year's, uh, there are people who are critical of this year's Galaxy S7 camera too. So, you know, what does that tell you about people in, in the mobile space and, and the, the quality of the mobile cameras? Um, the OnePlus 3 is another one of these devices, much like the Moto Z, that seems very intriguing. And I'm actually really looking forward to the OnePlus 3 announcement because I want some of these things to be resolved. If they can make it available to a wide variety of markets, if they can eliminate the obnoxious invite system and make their phone actually available for people to buy without jumping through hoops, if it's priced at what the rumors say, this is exactly what we like about the Nexus program when there's more than one Nexus. You get choices, you get options, and you get the ability to buy a phone off contract at a reasonable price that isn't a cost-cutting phone and that isn't something where you have to compromise about something. I think OnePlus may have finally hit on something with the 3, if all of these rumors are right. Um, I agree. I think the design is very nice. I think it looks clean. Uh, I was a big fan of the sandstone back that they had in the past, but maybe, you know, who knows, maybe they'll have, you know, uh, changeable cover plates on this version too. But even if not, if all it is is really a, a, a you know, a, a wannabe HTC 10 clone, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think it looks good enough to stand on its own. And some of the other features, again, depending on the quality of the display and the quality of the 16 megapixel sensor in the camera, um, you know, could be, this could be a really big, this could be a really big home run for OnePlus. I feel like they basically cleaned up all the things we didn't like. Getting rid of the invite system is a big deal. Rumor is they're going to have a million units at launch available, which seems like a sufficient supply. I don't know what the makeup by different model will be, so we'll see. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I like what I see. The design, I would say, I would, I would take it a step further than what you're saying and say not only do I like the design, I think it's definitely better than the HTC 10 and G5 as far as pictures are concerned. I've learned to never judge a device until you actually have it in your hand because you just don't know how it's going to feel and actually look like. But in the pictures that I've seen, it looks better than those two phones. So I like the design. 
the specs are on point. It, the only thing that's even a, that you could even quibble with is the 1080p screen, but I think that if it's a nice 1080p screen, I don't even think that's a big deal at all. They're moving to AMOLED from IPS LCD. It looks it looks great. If the if the supply is sufficient and the rumors pan out, it looks like a great device. I think it can stand toe to toe with anything else that's been released this year. And for bang for buck, it would probably be the best so far. So we'll see what they actually release. But uh, that announcement is supposed to be June fourteenth. There's a flash sale of 1,000 units on June 6th, I think for $455. It's like that first run if you want to grab it. And I, I was unclear though if it was just in China, and companies do this all the time, they release these small quantities. They say, oh yeah, it sold out in eight seconds and it makes their marketing team look like a bunch of geniuses, I guess, but I'm looking forward to it. It looks like a another neat device. June went from kind of a blah month to within a week of each other, we'll get the Moto Z and this announcement, both of them to me had a lot of potential, so I'm excited. Yep, the one plus three does sound like if it's everything as advertised, it could be a um, could be a really great device and something that a lot of people want to consider buying. Um, this is the part of the program where uh, Sean P gets to fanboy out in a major way because we're going to talk about, depending on who you ask, the new Note. Whether or not it's going to be the Note six, whether or not it's going to be the Note seven, nobody knows. And the announcement's a little bit further away. We're probably expecting it sometime in August. But um, if you hear the sound of drool coming through this podcast, that would be Sean P. talking about his note. And without further ado, let's talk about the note. That's mostly true, by the way. Now, here's what we're looking at. So it looks like this phone's going to be announced in the first week of August. And... I think most of the rumors are pointing to Samsung calling it the Galaxy Note 7. The reason for that is because the Galaxy S series is at 7. There's a perception by consumers that if the Note is one numeric value less, that it must be an inferior device. And so it must be. You couldn't make this stuff up if you tried, but it looks like they may try to just, you know, uh, make the lines equal and call this the Note 7. So here's what you're looking at. Uh, 5.7 or 5.8 inch QHD screen, uh, Snapdragon 823 processor. Uh, this is an unannounced processor still. Qualcomm's not announced it, but there's been a bunch of leaks indicating this is coming out in phones later this year. And what it looks like is a overclocked Snapdragon S820. It's kind of similar to what we had with the S800, S801. It looks like they're going to clock the higher cores up to 2.6 gigahertz, and then the lower one will be like 2 to 2.15 which is actually a fair increase from the Snapdragon 820. Um, it would have the Adreno 530 GPU with a similar clock increase. 6 gigabytes of RAM. Uh, it looks like 32 gigabytes of storage all the way up to 256 meg. Um, SD card support, just like the Galaxy S7's got this year again. The battery capacity I've seen rumored from anywhere to 3,700 to 4,200 milliamp hour batteries. Given the increase that the Galaxy S7 and Galaxy S7 Edge got this year, it would stand to reason that the Note line would get a bump too. Um, last year, though, there were rumors that it was going to have this giant battery, and none of those panned out. It ended up having a smaller battery than the Note 4. But I'm going to 4,000 milliamp hours has been the most prevalent rumor, so I'm going to go ahead and guess it'll either clock in at 3,700 milliamp hours, slightly higher than the Edge S7 Edge, maybe 4,000 on the high side. I think 4,200 is probably too much. It's going to be IP68 certified, so waterproof and dustproof. And um, the rumored release date, I think, is like August 14th or 15th, so right in the middle of August. 
Samsung moved up the release window of the Note last year with the 5. Um, I remember when I bought my 2 was back in the October time frame that these used to be released and they would be announced at the beginning of September. But Samsung's moved it up because, uh, you know, Apple has their phablet now and they want to get this out first. From a design standpoint, it basically looks like a Galaxy S7. So it has the curved back and um, the, all the images that have leaked out so far and there's been some chatter that they may only release a edge version, a, a, the front edge version as well. Um, and the design looks very, very similar to a Galaxy S7 Edge, except for they've added in USB Type-C um, on this device. So we had some CAD drawings earlier this week and some renders based off of that. It looks very much like a Note. It has some extra sensors on the top versus the Note 5, and that's rumored to be for the iris scanner. Um, this is something that Samsung, some trademarks leaked out this week that seemed to indicate that, and, and there's been rumors all year that they were going to include an iris scanner in the Note 7, I guess we'll call it. So that looks like it's going to pan out. So yeah, that's kind of what we're looking at so far. i got to be honest with you. The Whether they call it the Note 6 or the Note 7 uh, is completely irrelevant to me. Um, the fact that Samsung is even considering making the numbers align is very humorous to me, so that's good. But what they call it doesn't matter because if the renders are, are accurate, I think the, the new Note's got a lot going for it. Um, I have USB Type-C in my Nexus 6P, and I love it. Um, I like the fact that in the middle of the night, if you're fumbling around to plug your phone in, you don't have to worry about which case or which way, excuse me, the, the plug is facing. Um, I read uh, a tweet from one of the developers that's very active in the Android community, and he basically said something to the effect of, this is how you plug in your, your USB uh, Type-B charger into your phone. You try it one way, it doesn't work. You flip it over, you try it that way and it doesn't work. And then you flip it over and try it the original way and then it works. That's pretty much how USB is for me as well. I can never figure out which side it is. So the fact that USB-C is included, plus USB-C does include native fast charging, which is very nice. Although Samsung also has their own uh, proprietary um, fast charging and wireless fast charging, those are already in use in the Galaxy S7 and the S7 Edge. Um, those are all great options no matter which one they use. Um, I am interested and I asked off air what Sean P. thought of if the Note only came in an Edge design display because I know that you haven't been uh, a big proponent of this mostly because you think there's not a lot of functionality in it but um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. So, all things considered, if I had my choice, I like what they did last year where they had the flat Note 5 and then they had the Galaxy S6 Edge Plus, which, name notwithstanding, was basically a curved version without the stylus. It's not that I don't like the Edge design. I think it looks really neat. Uh, it, it has kind of that infinity pool effect, and it's a, it makes the device look nice. But so far, there's nothing about the Edge features that I've seen that make me go, yeah, I re really want to use that. It seems like they're coming up with features to utilize the Edge screen to try to make it something that actually has some value from a user standpoint, but I really don't think it does. I really think it's more of an aesthetics th thing. It looks cool. Um, also, the Edge screen has some unintended bad consequences, which are it's really easy to tap things on the edge of the screen that you necessarily didn't mean to tap. And this is going into like full nerd territory, but the Edge Samsung screens use a diamond pentile matrix. What this means is the screen, instead of having three subpixels, uh, are red, blue, and green, like almost every other screen. They use a, these diamond subpixels where 
each subpixel is basically two instead of three. This doesn't mean a whole lot. The screens are so high resolution now that it doesn't really matter, but on the edge screen what you'll notice is because of the way the subpixel layout is, it'll look green on the sides because the light hits it and because it's curved, basically the curved screen plus the way the light hits the screen on that curve makes it so that it's picking up the extra green subpixels, and so it looks greenish. So, all things considered, again, I would rather have a flat screen. Um, the other main thing for me is I like to put tempered glass screen protectors on my devices, and with a flat screen, that's relatively easy. With a curved screen, they actually do make them now, but the problem is, Making that uniform is exceedingly difficult, so everyone that I know that's tried to put one on their Galaxy S7 Edge, for instance, has had varying degrees of success from none to it's okay, um, it doesn't adhere that well, or in certain spots you have bubbles. So, I'm kind of dancing around the, the answer. The answer is this. I would prefer to have a flat screen. I don't think the Edge screen brings a whole lot to the table. If they only bring out an Edge variant, I will buy it anyway. And the reasoning for that is I've had a lot of phones and so far the Note phones have never let me down. I've had a 2, 3, 5. I had a Nexus 6 in between and I've played with a whole bunch of devices. The thing that's most important to me is the quality of the screen and right now Samsung screens are the best in my opinion even with that green shimmering that I just referred to. Above and beyond that it basically has flagship everything. It has the fast wireless charging, and one of the main things that I really love about the newest Samsung phones is Samsung Pay, and that's a feature that you can't get on anything else, and for those of you that don't know, you have Apple Pay and Android Pay, and those utilize NFC to do payments, and the problem with that is lots of places don't have NFC terminals. Samsung Pay uses a technology called MST. It stands for Magnetic Secure Transmission, and what it does is it spoofs a magnetic strip. So, I can use my phone for payment at any vendor that has a normal magnetic strip reader. So, today, my family was out running errands. I was able to use it at a hardware store where when I pulled out the phone, they said, nope, doesn't work here. Then we went to a grocery store, and I again got the, no, we don't support that here, and then it works. And for me, that's a, that's a big deal. It's nice to be able to not carry my wallet, or if I forget it, be able to use my phone. So, I'm hoping that other companies eventually will not least, what's the word I'm searching for, license this technology from Samsung. I would love to see Google and other OEMs use it because it's a killer feature. But until then, the notes for me are kind of the... Every year I know I'm basically getting the best of what's available at that time with some special Samsung stuff built in. I know people deride TouchWiz, and it still has some quirks, but as far as experience concerned, for the last couple of years it's held true that the Note device that released that year was the best for me. It, it checks the boxes that I want as a user. So, Sean calls me a fanboy, and that may be entirely justified, but, I mean, if you look at the Note 6, or the Note 7, whatever we're calling it, what weaknesses do you see? Do you see any? Uh, first of all, I'd like to touch on the point that um, you use the term maybe justified. It is absolutely 100% justified. Second of all, um, uh, there's, I mean, 
you've laid out a pretty pretty compelling argument. I mean, pretty much everybody knows the Note is the pinnacle of what Samsung does. If you want um, or don't mind a uh, larger than 5.5 inch display, you're getting pretty much the best of everything. Samsung has demonstrated that they are willing to pack as much technology into the Note series as one human could possibly have. Um, the only thing to me that really does just scream gimmick is the iris scanner. Honestly, if your freaking fingerprint isn't good enough to unlock your phone, I don't know what the heck you're doing. Um, the iris scanner, uh, unless literally a laser comes out of it and scans my eyeball, that would be incredibly cool. But if it's not that, then I don't want it. Um, the camera is going to be great. The screen is going to be amazing. Um, whether it's curved or not, the... Um, the the power of it, just the raw processing power of it with 6 gigs of RAM and the overclocked SA20 is just going to be, I'm sure this phone is going to scream, even with TouchWiz on it. Um, it's going to look good. Um, aesthetically, the Galaxy S7 is probably one of the best looking phones out there. In fact, the Galaxy S7 Edge in silver is almost universally acclaimed as being one of the sexiest phones on the market. So if the Note looks anything like that phone, it's going to be, it's going to be killer. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be the phone to beat, that's for sure. Um, uh, you know, again, the, the Note 5, like the worst thing I could come up with is, you know, if you put the S Pen in the wrong way, it deadens the S Pen so that you can't use it ever again. Like if that's your biggest problem, uh, if that's your biggest first world problem, then I think you're probably doing all right. The only downside, really, that I can come up with is what's it going to cost? Now that's going to be the biggest issue for me and probably for a lot of people. So to touch on a few of your points before we move on to our next little segment here, the iris scanner too is one of those things where I go, yeah, that's that's great. I don't really care. The Lumia 950XL has this, by the way, and I've seen YouTube videos on it. It works better than you would expect it to work, but this falls squarely into the, I agree with you, who the hell cares? Um, my thumbprint works. It works really well. Not that hard to use. I don't really see what the utility in this is, <laughs> but I guess if you're throwing the kitchen sink at it, you have to have it, and it's something that only one other phone that I can think of has, so I, I guess it's something new and different. I didn't even touch upon the camera. I forgot about that. It's supposed to have an improved 12-megapixel ISO cell, um, so the same technology in the Galaxy S7 with the instant focus, so that is a, a nice upgrade, and I think their camera probably across all conditions is the best currently on the market, so that's that's another nice to have. As far as the money is concerned, yes, it's going to be very expensive. I would be shocked if it came in, if it's an edge-only phone, I would expect the base to be $799. The Note 5 without the edge, just the flat screen base, 32 gig, I think was $699 when it released, but generally the edges carry a $100 premium. Is it worth it for most people? I'd say probably not, if we're being honest. When you're looking at the OnePlus 3, for instance, at half price, the only things that the Note have over the OnePlus 3 would be a better quality screen, probably a better quality camera, and it has the wireless charging, and Samsung Pay. But when you look at the difference in quality, it's like, yes, it's a better screen, but how much better? Yes, it's a better camera, but how much better? I think they're better. Are they twice as expensive better? For most people, the answer is almost assuredly no. I doubt they can tell the difference. I think for me personally, because tech's kind of my hobby and I follow this stuff pretty closely and really check out all devices, I'm willing to pay the premium because I consider it to have the best stuff. Uh, but for Joe Average person, 
if, if a family member, for instance, was on AT&T or T-Mobile looking at phones and they can get a 64 gig, 6 gig of RAM, metal premium one plus three for four hundred twenty five dollars or they can get for seven hundred ninety nine dollars a thirty two gig base but it has an SD card but Galaxy notes you know seven edge I'd be pretty hard pressed to say that the edge is the way that they should go for most people. And that I think is going to be the biggest thing like there's always going to be a segment that wants the best of the best the note represents that um, for the most uh, most average Android users, the Galaxy S7 or the S7 Edge, or excuse me, the Galaxy, uh, yeah, the Galaxy S7 Edge, um, this is going to be a great device, and a lot of people are going to love it, and they're going to be able to be just fine with that, especially at a reduced cost. Um, the Galaxy S7 Edge um, with a 5.5-inch display is, is really striking and really remarkable. remarkable. It's beautiful. Um, I think if you didn't have to have the ultimate tip-top of everything, that's probably the way most people should go. Um, anything else before we move on? No, I, this is a symptom of things we've already been seeing. It's like, honestly, the Galaxy Note 5, which will probably drop in price, still, as of right now, would be like overkill phone for 99% of the population. So we've definitely hit the point where if you're buying these tip-top phones, it's because you want them more so than you need them. So you're seeing this more and more with the Chinese companies especially where they're bringing out phones, and we've touched on this before, they're 95% as good as the tip-top flagship devices, but they cost 50 to 60% as much. So eventually one of two things is going to happen. The flagship phones will come down in price, or the gap will literally be bridged where they'll almost be the same. But this is going to continue to happen, and it's... It's been happening for a while, and it's it's going to be harder and harder to justify those premium prices, which leads us right to Apple, speaking of premium prices. Perfect segue to, and we've talked a little bit about this, uh, specifically in episode two, which was the future of Apple. Um, we're talking about the iPhone 7 and the 7 Plus. We touched a little bit on previous rumors and how slightly underwhelming this new device might be. Um, there have been some new in, there has been some new information that's come out recently that does uh, make us maybe think a little bit differently about what the iPhone 7 or 7 Plus might be. What's the rundown on that, Sean? So here's what we're looking at. From a design standpoint, all signs do point to the designs being the same. So very, very similar, not exactly the same. So here's what we're looking at. It looks like they're going to remove the three and a half millimeter headphone jack on both devices. Um, the 7 and the 7 Plus. They're moving the antenna lines, which are kind of unsightly, to the top of the device so you don't notice them as much on the back. And it is a cleaner look. Um, as far as screen sizes, 4.7 and 5.5, the resolutions will stay the same. No big changes there. Uh, so here's the things that are changing. It looks like the iPhone 7 will still, the latest rumor still says they're going to have a base of 16 gigabytes of storage and then it's going to go to 64 gigabytes and 128 gigabytes. So the iPhone 7, the iPhone 7 also is going to have a single camera still. It looks like a smaller upgrade. Like from the 6S to the iPhone 7s, it seems based on what I'm reading is going to be very, very small changes. Um, maybe a slightly larger battery. The rumors were that it was going to be thinner but then the latest CAD drawings that I saw actually were slightly thicker. So. As far as the iPhone, and the iPhone 7 is still 2 gig of RAM, that kind of thing. So the iPhone 7, the, the base one, if you will, looks like a, a very small change from the iPhone 6S, and I'm still kind of in the underwhelmed territory. But the iPhone 7 Plus has some more interesting stuff going on. So here's the latest rumors with that. Um, 
it looks like the storage might get bumped to a 32 gigabyte base, which it absolutely should be for both. Uh, and then the steps would be 32, 128, and 256. So it looks like they're going to offer a 256 gigabyte option at the high end. That's crazy to me. 256 gigs of storage in a phone is uh, that's pushing that's pushing unbelievable territory. Although, again, with an increased camera size and increased megapixel size on those photos, I'm sure there are going to be quite a few people who will definitely want that. So, what else has it got going on? And this gets into the nerd talk. But speaking of storage. The storage that Apple uses is a different format than what any of the Android manufacturers do. It's something more akin to like PC style storage. And as a result, it's like Samsung is using UFS 2.0 and I think now LG and HTC are using it this year as well. Maybe not HTC, but it's, it's fast. It's the fastest Android memory. The stuff Apple uses in benchmarks is usually like two to four to six times as fast. So I give Apple a lot of grief sometimes, but their storage is by far and away the best and the fastest. So it's like not only are you getting these huge capacities, but the actual write speeds and everything when you're actually doing things on your phone are fast enough that you probably would actually notice a difference. So that's that's something nice. Um, the 7 Plus also is supposed to get dual cameras. So this is kind of a neat thing. Um, it may be dual 12 megapixel cameras. We're not exactly sure. There's not a lot of information out there as far as what the cameras are actually going to be, as far as resolution or what they're doing different, but the rumors are very consistent that there's going to be a dual camera on the higher-end one uh, with both modules having OIS. And the other thing that we've seen in most of the leaks, although I'm not positive on this because I've seen some other things saying no, is we've seen that it had Pogo-style pins on the back, something akin to what Motorola is doing. And there's some rumors out there that you may be able to pop it into like a keyboard or we're not sure what Apple's using these for, but what you're start, starting to see here is, and it's an interesting thing, it, when the 6 and the 6 Plus were initially announced, the first phablet that Apple did, the changes really, the differences weren't huge. So you did get a higher resolution screen, you got OIS in the camera. There were little differences here and there. The, the, the 6 Plus was definitely the nicer of the two, but the differences were not huge. As the generations have gone by with the 6S, and now it looks like, especially with the 7, it looks like really like the flagship Apple phone is, is going to be the 7 Plus. That's the one that's going to have the big battery, the high-resolution screen, the dual cameras. It's going to have the larger memory capacities and maybe these expansion pogo pins. And... It's kind of the one that's more exciting, so it's kind of weird, though. The the 7 is really their volume seller. I don't know what the breakdowns are. The last I saw was something like 75-25, but really the 7S is the one that, that... I keep doing that, sorry. The 7 Plus is the one that has all the interesting leaks and looks like it's going to have more of the, the new features. And that's kind of an unusual, um, an unusual circumstance. Uh, we talked a little bit in Episode 2 about... Um, banging on Apple for being late to the party with adopting larger display devices. And it seems like, if some of these rumors are true, and there are some, there's some talk, I think, also about it not being called the 7 Plus, maybe being called the 7 Pro, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I've, I've seen rumors on that, yes. So it could be that they're designing a uh, much more powerful version of that phone, uh, kind of a la what they did with the iPad and the new iPad Pros. So it, it's interesting, an interesting tack that Apple is taking with this if they're seeing that the larger 
uh, display size phone is actually kind of moving towards something that Samsung has been doing for a while now, which is releasing this Note series, which is bigger and packed with more features and much more of a power user uh, type of device, and then leaving the standard version of the phone as being their kind of base model. Um, I won't dive into um, what I really want to dive into, which is how a 16 gig base storage mm -hmm. model iPhone even justifies its existence. I don't care what the price is. Even if they, even if they charge 25 bucks for it, it doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have a place in the mobile space anymore. It just doesn't, but that's a rant for another day. The, um, the 7 Plus uh, intrigues me also. I'd be interested to see what Apple can do with dual cameras. The uh, G5's uh, wide-angle camera has, has drawn some very interesting commentary uh, for what it can do, and uh, I think that that's kind of a technology that if Apple was going to go into a different space that they could really uh, see some significant gains there because their cameras are generally regarded as some of the best in the market along with Samsung. So. Um, the i iPhone 7 Plus um, could be could be very interesting. Could be less interesting. Again, depending on whether the um, the Pogo style expansion pans out, uh, depending on whether this dual camera setup pans out, and depending upon um, what they do with um, the RAM and and some other things in there. So, um, the iPhone 7 definitely does seem like a, an underwhelming premise. And um, again, for kind of what we've already talked about for the premium that Apple's looking to charge for these things. Um, you better really, really like it because otherwise, I don't know what the heck you're doing buying it. I'm not positive on these rumors either. I'm not sure I buy this 16 gigabyte base model for the iPhone 7. I'm hoping that's just a bad report and they actually do. It would make more sense for both models to go to the 32 and then the next step's 128 and, and 256 if they want to go that way because you can probably still entice the users to bump up and pay the extra 100 bucks to go for the 128 gig of, of memory. But, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what this looks like. This would be a big change for them. So now, if you're, if you're checking the boxes here, compared to the 7, the 7 Plus would have a higher resolution screen, an extra gig of RAM, larger battery capacity, better cameras, uh, and the Pogo-style uh, pins that may allow it to do more things. So. Before the differences were, it was like, well, they were they weren't really that much, and the two devices were very similar. Those are pretty big changes. So it definitely looks like Apple may be taking the the plus line, if you will, to a little more premium space, and uh, they're keeping the the base phone kind of more. And so the base phone's still fine, but when you're looking at the two, it's like the seven. Plus is the only one that really has anything interesting going on for me. When I'm looking at the list of things that's being rumored even, there's just nothing really going on with the iPhone 7 that makes me honestly care that much. It just looks like another iterative iPhone design, whereas at least the 7 Plus, it's got some, some stuff going on. The dual cameras could be cool, and uh, the expansion pins maybe would get some extra ability and the higher capacity memory... It's interesting. I'm at least interested to see what they'll announce, and that'll be in early September probably, and I'm sure the release window. I actually saw a release date at one point. I can't remember if it was like September 18th or something this year, but uh, that's coming up. We're, we're sneaking up on that. And that's kind of the thing that we've been banging on Apple for a while now, which is ne not really being innovative and, and not pushing the mobile space forward like they used to, and maybe the iPhone 7 Plus will do that. Maybe they'll bring in some changes that will look into making other OEMs or original equipment manufacturers um, 
make them change their thought processes on how they release new phones or maybe even build features into new phones. And that's never a bad thing for everybody. In that circumstance, the consumer always wins, which is, I think is what we're really big proponents of no matter what. And yeah, the other nice thing about all of this is like, this year is fun um, from the standpoint of the devices that are coming out are actually interesting. So we have the Motorola announcement in a couple days. We have the OnePlus announcement a week after. We have the Note announcement in August, and we have the iPhone announcement in September, and then we'll have a Nexus announcement probably in October, I would guess. So there's just a there's a lot going on. All of the devices are really good. I'm excited to see what's coming out. It's been a this year's been like a great year for mobile phones. Last year was really kind of a bad year with the Snapdragon 810 issues and some of the other things that were going on, and it just kind of seemed like a lackluster year. And it's like this year people. Whether you love what they did or not, people really tried to bring their A-game, do different things. I'm just impressed with what I see overall. Even if some of the stuff's iterative, it's still better. I mean, these phones are really, really good. So I'm really looking forward to the next couple months because we're going to see the next wave of devices coming out. And it's like every month we're getting something, so there's a lot going on. And we'll be having more podcasts. We'll probably do one in the next week or so to discuss maybe what we're seeing with the OnePlus 3 and with the... Lenovo, Motorola announcement once the the uh, Moto Z is announced, but there's actually a lot happening, and most of it looks interesting. Very good time in the mobile phone space, that's for sure, and um, we'll definitely have another pod after the announcements to recap what's gone on, what we like, what we don't like, similar to episode three, where we came out after the Google I.O. announcements. Um, so be looking for that coming as well. And hopefully also we'll have some more information. Um, I don't think it'll be a, a full pod maybe, but if we do manage to lay our hands on the OnePlus 3 once we get it in-house, we'll, uh, we'll play around with it a little bit. And then we'll give you some thoughts either published up at uh, SiliconTheory.com or we may have a, maybe a mini pod to discuss what we like and what we don't like about it. Uh, potentially maybe even a short video. We'll, uh, we'll see where we go with that. Um, so there you have it. That's the Rumor Roundup episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check us out on Twitter. We are at Silicon Theory, uh, or follow us on Instagram. We're also at Silicon Theory there. And uh, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate your time and listening. If you enjoyed the show and you subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play Music, make sure you leave us a review. You can also hit us at our inbox at silicontheory at gmail.com. And um, thanks, guys. We'll catch you in the next one. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We'll do it again soon. Take care.